Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7? Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn with Go Long at Go Long TD. Dot com. I just figured uh, I'd share this conversation uh, here on our podcast that I have with Ryan Leaf over at Go Long. It's it's an important one um, in light of Vincent Jackson's awful, tragic death. Um, we're still getting more details on that, obviously, but however you slice it, it just does not sound good. And, and obviously, Ryan Leaf has some thoughts on that, some thoughts on what the NFL is, or I should say is not doing for former players. Um taps into his own experiences, his, his life in prison, um, the time he tried to commit suicide. And and really, Ryan Leaf has just been fielding phone calls from these former players nonstop the last two weeks. So um, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, it's important. Share it if you'd like. And, yeah, to get everything that we have at Go Long, all features, profiles, Zoom happy hours, discussion threads, uh, just head on over to golongtd.com, subscribe. Seven months, 70 a year. Uh, we're going to be ramping up our draft coverage uh, in a big way very soon, as well as free agency. So I uh, hope you'll join our community and reach me anytime. GoLongTD at gmail.com or on Twitter at Ty Dunn. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Ryan, great to see you, man. It's uh, It's been a couple of years. Like We were just talking. I think it was... The NFL Combine, when we first met there at the J-Dub Starbucks, hanging out. and I mean, I can't thank you enough. It was great just to kind of meet you then, catch up. But, uh, gosh, a lot's happened in the world since then, huh? Yeah, it has. It's uh, What's been so cool, um, you know, kind of getting reconnected in the football world in the past six years since I got out of prison uh, is, is the relationships um, that I've reconnected with or formed new ones uh, where I think – especially in the, in the communication and, and journalism world where I, I think I had some pretty um, um, toxic relationships uh, or individuals who are in the media now that maybe covered me from the peripheral or had some sort of interaction with me. I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily good. And that's been really cool to, to redevelop those relationships, relationships reconnect. And, you know, I, I think people are often surprised <laughs> Yeah. Uh, at the different kind of person I am uh, than, than maybe what they've been told or had seen for so many years. But uh, that's the cool part of it. It's, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but that is, that's gotta be something like, 
where everybody has an image, everybody has this uh, reputation of Ryan Leaf in, in the back of that. Then they meet you, right? And it's not what they maybe expected. I mean, when you go into meeting folks like myself, like, do you run through that stuff in your head? Like, does it even cross your mind? Like, hey, it's a chance for them to really see who I am. It, it doesn't necessarily – uh, it's not that, like, I, I don't think about it. I just, you know, uh, interact with somebody as, you know, as if, as if I would anybody anymore. Right. And, uh, but there's, there's, there's one story like, um, Jay Glazer, who, who covers, you know, the NFL for Fox from top to bottom, uh, he started a unbelievable foundation with, with Nate Boyer called MVP. And it's, uh, uh, stands for merging vets and players. And it's to bring, um, you know, combat vets and former professional athletes together because the transition's so similar. And what do you do once you take the the uniform off? And I remember uh, I'd reached out to Nate Boyer after I saw all the work he was doing uh, during the Colin Kaepernick um, uh, anthem protests and kneeling and things like that. And I just reached out to him to tell him how much I appreciated his his efforts and everything. And he invited me to this group. So, well, well, he went to, when he went to Jay to tell Jay that uh, he'd like to invite me, like Jay's first response immediately was, no, don't, don't bring that guy here. You know, kind of like what a piece of shit. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, boy, that's really counterproductive to what his, his group was supposed to be about. Right. Like, to, yeah. Uh, but Nate was like, Nate was like, Hey Jay, you don't, you don't get to decide who, who we save. Um, you know, yeah. and uh, and so yeah, that's kind of the that's the response I expect from people, um, and it fits. It's like if somebody comes up and gives me a compliment, like I receive it very poorly. My eyes kind of look to the floor. My mm-hmm. body language gets bad because I'm used to hearing like, "Oh, that that Ryan Leaf's an asshole." That sounds more like how it's supposed to be when somebody says Ryan Leaf is such an inspiration. He's doing. I'm almost kind of like that, that sounds foreign to me. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, I don't think about it that much, but I I can only envision that's, you know, that's the interpretation of people. Well, I mean, and and with you, with was the player assistance fund when you came out of prison, right? Like they, they didn't really want to help you out. Like, like, I mean, you applied for, for a grant, right. To get your life back together and they basically set up, you're, you're a bad egg, you lost cause, we, we can't really help you out. Like, I mean, that's real well, they, life. They had, Yeah, it is. They had helped me out uh, previous before uh, the prison stint um, to get some help with some treatment. So maybe they just thought in their eyes, you know, we've, we've seen this, we've seen this movie before, we've tried this before. And I think that's the line that they used was, we're not going to throw good money after bad. So I think they just kind of chalked me up as like, this is a guy we tried to help. This guy didn't couldn't figure it out. He's a failure, and we're going to move on. So um, that's unfortunate, but it's kind of uh, you know you know it's kind of the way that the NFLPA works, and uh, and it's disappointing, and it really you know puts some emphasis on guys who have gone through this, like have gone through some of their programs, uh, been helped by or been dismissed by. It's our responsibility to to kind of take up that mantle and, and try to help my fellow brothers who were struggling um, now. Well, let's start with that, right? I mean, we, 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 I hope everybody saw your, your video out of, you know, just the tragic news with, with Vincent Jackson dying in the hotel room. I mean, some of the details starting to come out, I guess we don't know the full story, but you know, the chronic alcoholism, the family fears, brain trauma, you know, he was reported missing. 
it's not good. However, you add it up, and I mean, I, I just thought you put it perfectly, and it, it's needed. The league has to do more. There's more Vincent Jacksons out there. There have been in the past. There will be in the future. You could have been a Vincent Jackson with everything you went through, with your addiction and hitting rock bottom like you did. I mean, we, we saw the video, but like, just take us through um, your reaction to the news that Vincent Jackson had died and, and what kind of raced through your head at that point, Ryan. Well, it was incredibly sad. Um, and I was angry. And I've never really done anything like that where I, you know, I've, I've been open and honest about my story. Um, but I don't know if I've ever really shown the emotionality behind some of the, you know, some of the things I go through on a day-to-day basis. And for whatever reason, I was incredibly overwhelmed by, I think, the, the way um, we all found out about it, right? Alone in a hotel room dying. And I, and you're exactly right. It should have been me. That's, that's you know, why, why wasn't it me? Um, you know, I, it's a survivor's guilt, um, that, that, that I, that I deal with sometimes because I'm like, he was an exceptional player and he was an exceptional philanthropic man in his community and helping other people and stuff like that. Why would, why would he be taken from us at, at such a young age? Um, and I'm still here. That's so that there was just a lot of emotion that went into it. And, and I was hyperbolic in kind of some of the things I said. Of course, the NFL and the NFLPA care. They, they, their actions don't necessarily represent that. Um, and I wasn't looking for somebody to blame because, hey, you know, we can't expect, you know, somebody to watch after us for years and years and years after we played a sport or were their employees. But I just felt like there needed to be some accountability. And, and if not, uh, it may have been a call to action to some of my my NFL brothers out there. And I think that's, that's what really was showcased. Um, the amount of um, former pro players that reached out to me and we've started talking and trying to figure out different solutions and things like that together. Cause I think we realized that, you know, that old, that old adage of, you know, once somebody shows you who they are, you know, believe them. Yeah. And uh, I think I just had, more optimism and hope around some of the things that they have told me. And you forget that the NFL is a propaganda machine, right? It's a marketing arm. Um, and, and what they, you know, it's a money printing company is what it is. So, you know, all those things to imagine all those things I just said to you. And then to think uh, of a young man at 38 years old with a family and so well-respected and such a future ahead of them um, alone dying uh, in a hotel room, and that was encapsulated in, in 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 how I how I said it. I just I looked into my video camera, and just said it. I didn't think I was going to post it. I didn't think I was going to. Sometimes I just talk into that like a journal, and and then revisit it later and stuff like that. And I don't know. It just I, we don't see we don't see enough of our supposed tough football men expressing themselves with emotions we just don't see it so um that's what i did well i mean you you could feel your pain i mean it was i don't know how anybody could watch that and not feel something you know and it's so true like i mean i i know what you mean like it's hard to always compare anything to to the military because nothing compares to the military but there yeah there is a brotherhood there is a bond there is something special in that locker room, you know, this is your identity. Think about it. You know, you start playing football when you're 
six, seven years old, I mean, it's it, and it becomes in the, <laughs> the, the 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 second you get up in the morning to when you go to bed, everything's structured in that locker room, you know, especially in the NFL. I mean, this is this is your life, this is who you are, this is your identity. It's the most violent game on earth. You know, you're risking so much out there with your best friends, and then the lights turn off, and then you're ejected back into society, and it's like it it there is going to be some post-traumatic effect, isn't there? I mean, the NFL, they should have some type of transition program, something to help smooth that over. I, I don't know what the precise answer is, but I think, I think, think of this. That. Think of this like juxtaposition. Like, look at the photos of when Roger Goodell announces the draft pick and the smiles and the hugs, like the hugs, like, I, I told the draft pick one night after talking to him leading into uh, his first training camp, um, I said, that that would be the last time Roger Goodell will hug you. <laughs> and um, why isn't he there on the day you retire and you walk out? Why isn't he there to hug you and say, hey, thank you so much for what you gave to this this company, this, this brand. Um, we're here for you. We're here for you. And uh, – it almost has kind of made me think about that. Like, how can we figure out who who's retiring or who's, you know, maybe they've only played one year in their career, but how could I be at their doorstep when they're making this decision to do something they've wanted to do their whole life and now have to leave from them and be there to give them a hug like that. So those are the type of things that have been running through my mind this last week and a half or so just, how can we how can we help and be different in in those things because it was such a just a juxtaposition of this huge emotion of getting hugged by the commissioner and then like when you retire it's like you know don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out kiddo you know good luck exactly i mean it's i mean is is it a stress to say when you when you aren't making money for the shield for the league you're not that relevant to the shield to the league well, I, yeah, I would, I would definitely believe that to be true. Um, also, like, once you walk away from the game, unless something tragic happens, we don't really hear uh, about you again unless you're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame about five years later or when your name starts being brought up for that. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's gone and forgotten. And uh, not that, not that we need attention. I think just, I think we need to, we need a purpose and we need to know we're still part of a, of a brotherhood. And, uh, I feel, I feel like I've let a lot of guys down because, you know, when I'm going through my crap, you know, we, we don't tend to reach out or, and, uh, there's only 27,000 of us ever in the hundred years of football. That's a crazy low number. It's not like 27 million or, uh, and just an unusual number. It's, it's limited. And there's the ability to have a connection between us all through this process. 100%. I mean, for, for those who don't know, I mean, can you just take us back to that, that low point for you? I mean, when you could have been a Vincent Jackson, I mean, you could have been that statistic when, when the addiction kind of had its grips in you, what what's that feeling? God, I mean, how how did you get in that dark place, and how were you able to get out? Really, 
Well, you know, well, I was mentally ill first. I was dealing with clinical depression when I was in my last stop in Seattle because I, I couldn't, you know, I was having such a hard time getting out of bed. I felt sad all the time. Uh, I was overweight because uh, I wasn't training. Uh, I felt lazy. And instead of going in and, and saying all these things to Mike Holmgren and asking for help, I just, I quit. You know, I thought, thought that's the best way to, um, get rid of all that right now you know now i'm not going to be judged or or uh you know or have people be overcritical of me or or anything like that but what you don't get and in particular my situation is when you were drafted alongside arguably the greatest to ever play um in peyton manning you know and i'm considered one of one of if not the greatest nfl draft busts out there you know my name doesn't go away and in fact I didn't have football to, to distract me. Now the, the noise was louder. And so I had become um, incredibly depressed and I was not seeking any treatment for it. And of course there was no transition um, team or help at all at that moment uh, in the NFL. It was just literally, yeah, you're cut. See you later, you know? And uh, before I knew it, I was in, uh, I was trying to figure out a way to, to numb that pain. Uh, or, or better, better yet, not feel anything. And I was in Vegas for a fight, and uh, uh, the MC was announcing celebrities in the audience, and uh, you know they announced Tiger Woods and Charles Barkley, and and the audience just went berserk and applauded. They announced my name, and the whole MGM Grand just booed and hissed. And it's not like that hadn't happened before, but instead of just you know, hearing I was an awful football player, my addict brain heard you were a, a terrible human being, too. And so, sure enough, that night, uh, an acquaintance of mine offered me some Vicodin, uh, and I was going to go in and out of parties where there were Hall of Famers and Super Bowl champions, where I always felt less than and judged. And I took those pills that night, and I walked into those those parties and didn't feel any of that. I had found... I essentially found what worked and that began like eight years of taking that slow slide to, to the bottom um, all in the search of not feeling or being able to sit in those feelings of feeling less than feeling sad, all those things that I should have learned how to deal with with some sort of counseling, psychiatry, something like that, that I just didn't do. And it ended up, you know, in a place where I was, you know, looking up ways to kill myself on, on Google. Um, and luckily for me, um, the sheriff's department showed up to save my life. And, uh, you know, never thought I'd be grateful for having spent 32 months in prison. Um, but I am, I'm grateful. I don't recommend it to anybody, but I'm extremely grateful for, because it had me address issues that I may not have done had no one noticed had gone in silence, um, had gone alone in a hotel room where no one was, no one was watching. And, uh, um, so that's another, another thing I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for. So, so you're literally searching this on Google, like you're planning right. this out. Yeah. I, and I got a scar right here. Man. Um, that I see every single day when I, uh, when I look at it to remind me, like, you know, 
no matter what no matter what kind of good day that's going on or good month or a good year and a lot of them have been good the last few years for me that like hey you know unless you keep doing the next right thing and uh, being open to when you still struggle um, this is this is what where you can go back to and uh you know it's a it's a reminder that's hard to look at but it's one that I need to because for exactly those reasons and watching brothers of mine um disappear because they weren't able to do that themselves. I mean, and you hit, you hit on it a little bit ago, right? I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, the culture of football. And I think, I mean, I play myself. And, and the reason I, I love love the game, the reason I, I love it today is that violence, is the fact that it is this war of attrition, right? These are the toughest SOBs on the planet. You know, in, in the NFL, you've got to be tough. It's, it, it is so embedded into the fabric of the sport that you just don't bring this stuff up in a lock. You just don't talk about mental health. It, up until maybe a couple of years ago, this conversation isn't being had anywhere. And, and Solomon Thomas, I was just talking to him this week. We have a story up online um, on Friday. But he, similar to you, I mean, he, he was drafted, what, ahead of Patrick Mahomes. You know, he'll be one of the greatest ever. But that wasn't, you know, the main, main contributing factor. Man, he, his, his sister died by suicide. On top of this, the pressures of being in the NFL, he ended up in a pretty dark place. He considered taking his own life, and, and you know, John Lynch stepped in. Could tell he wasn't himself. He saw a therapist. He got help, and he's been on the road to recovery um, since then too. But just speak on that, like the, the culture of the game. How does that kind of play into it, and not necessarily help guys because you don't you don't want to just bring this up right to a coach. You don't want to bring it up to a teammate. To, to anybody really because it's, 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 it's a kind of weakness. It, it seems no, that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's, that's the stigma that exists. It's, it's, you know, it's not a sign of weakness. Right. It's, it's, we've been told this and there's a stigma that exists. There's a, I grew up in Montana. There's a cowboy culture, uh, men in locker rooms, the football culture of tough guys where you suck it up for the, for the team. And um, it's also easier to, diagnose a broken leg than it is, you know, um, you know, something you can't see, you know, if, if you can't see it and as athletes, we want, you know, that's tangible evidence of like something's medically wrong. And if we can't see it, then it's just conjecture. And we feel like, you know, that's crazy. People are going to look at us funny and we all, you know, we're all hyper sensitive to, to criticism as, as football players, um, just watch what the combine presents each and every year, you know. So, um, you know, imagine if a if a player, you know, ten years ago steps in front of the mic at the combine and expresses that he's, you know, he, he struggles with depression and social anxiety disorder and and has had suicidal thoughts. That guy's draft stock is gone, right? It's it, it, it's gone, and. <laughs> And, and, and I, I still think to this day that it would it would really put a, a terrible burden on his agent and the, the PR people and publicists to get a team to give him an honest look um, if that were true. So we have to continue to uh, show vulnerability and transparency. And we're seeing it more and more from athletes. Michael Phelps at the top of his game. Kevin Love recently. DeMar DeRozan. Even Dwayne The Rock Johnson has talked about it. He's the biggest movie star on the planet talked about his battle with depression and things like that. So, you know, that's, 
that that's all we can do. You know, it's all we can control um, and understand that, like, you know, showing in your weakness or showing uh, uh, transparency and vulnerability isn't weakness. It's actually the strongest thing you'll ever do. Uh, and, and one of the things I'm most proud of when I see people do it. Yeah, I mean, like like Solomon said, too, like you, you just got to change the thinking, right? It's okay to not be okay and to talk yeah. about it. And your brain's a muscle. Right? I mean, you got to work on your brain like you work well, on also now, anything. Also now, these days, we live in this Instagram world, too, where, you know, anything that's posted is just, just shows your best life. And yeah. that's not true at all. And I, I've tried to be counter to that. Like, I've, I've tried to post my life, like – real life struggling um, because there's a platform that I have now. And I, you know, I don't want to give people unrealistic expectations. Like that may set them up for more failure. Like this dude went through everything. He seems really happy all the time. No, like I struggle all the time still. Like it's still life. You know, I'm the dad to a three-year-old boy now. And, you know, I'm worried I'm going to fail him constantly. And, and uh, you know, how am I going to support him? And, you know, so there's, it's life for everybody. Yeah. It's the same. It's difficult. And so even, even though people be more, be more open uh, when it comes to mental health and things like that, they st- we still live in this Instagram world where what everybody sees is what you want them to see and not necessarily what is real. How much of a contributing factor is, is just the, the, the social media boom to depression then? I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's got to be hard to quantify. It can't help. I mean, it's got to make everything worse. It's got to make things much more difficult in terms of bullying, um, you know, critical, uh, being, being critical, one another, judging, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I'll make a post that's uh, inspirational in nature and I'll get, you know, thousands of messages back or, or but there will be one negative comment or something like that. And for whatever reason, right, that's the one I stick on. We're just – we're so – it's such a human trait to, you know, see the negative rather than the positive. And it just takes practice. You know, the understanding of what other people think of me is none of my business. That's an affirmation I've worked on for years now, and it's finally taken a real hold, um, you know, and not, and not taking yourself super seriously. Like, it's a serious subject, but, you know, I'm not I'm not all that important. I'm, I'm a flawed human being just like everybody else trying to be better, and that's a – that's what I try to live by every day. So, so what can be done then? I mean, what can the NFL do to, to really, you know, make make some change here? I mean, they haven't been shy about throwing money and, and supporting other issues, but it, when yeah, it comes that's to mental health. That's the thing. They're going to have to do the same, right? Like how, how they jumped in and was full-throated and put some money behind the social justice uh, reform this year. That's That's exactly what else they need to do. And what ultimately they need to do is, is – is have a look in the mirror and go, do we care? I mean, do we really care? Cause I mean, if they don't, they don't, that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, rage against the machine. If they'd simply go, Hey, we're, we're a violent, you know, money printing machine. That's what we do. You know, it's gotta be very difficult to systematically not contribute, not uh, say that football contributes to brain damage yet right. then turn around and try to help the people who are dealing with brain damage down the line. It, it runs counterproductive to what they were trying to rail against uh, in the first place. So I, I guess I can't fault them for it. And, and then it just makes it, it makes it more 
uh, on us former players and, and our responsibility to be there for one another um, and not rely on on a corporation that 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 simply doesn't care and uh, and therefore it's on us and and maybe it's just a, a just the realization of has finally you know sunk in. There's been an actual radical acceptance on my part of going, oh, what everybody else already knew, I'm just, you know, I'm slow to the take as usual and just figuring it out because, you know, they invited me in and had me part of the NFL legends for a couple of years uh, trying to make a difference. And then, you know, when, when, when things get tough, uh, you know, they just kind of send me out on my ass. So I, I should have, you know, shame on me. You know, I, I should have just, I should have known better and been more proactive on my part. And, uh, just in the last 10 days since speaking out, you wouldn't believe the, um, the outpouring of, of former players getting in contact. And we're, we're going to, we're going to make something happen because of this. We're not, we're not going to have Vincent and all the other guys' deaths, uh, in vain when this is all said and done. It's just about being honest to me. I mean, if the league was just honest and upfront, you know, you mentioned CT with with the violence. I mean, don't let, let let's not tell people the game is safe. It's not safe. Like it's a violent game. Like just tell. I mean, they're not. They'll never do it, right? Because they 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 don't want moms to be hesitant about letting their seven and eight year olds play. I mean, that's the future workforce for the league. But if they were just honest and said, yeah, there is a connection, concussions, CTE, it's a real thing. These are the risks. You can either take those risks on or not. Instead of like. I feel like it's a lie to say this this game is safe. It, unless you made it touch football, it will never be safe. Like, there will be concussions. Yeah. And this is just another example of maybe just the league not being up front, not being honest, not taking on an issue head on because – Hey, they're, they're a private company. Yeah, they're a private company. You know, they're – you know, they they have – you know, Roger Goodell answers to 32 billionaire owners, right? That right. He does their bidding for them. So that's – the bottom line, hey, yeah. I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm, I'm entertained. I watched the Super Bowl. I watched yeah. the playoffs. You know, yeah. I I needed a distraction. Um, you know, so maybe there has to come a point where I'm just like, I can't, I, I won't contribute. I, I cannot contribute to that anymore and stop doing it myself. If, if, if I'm not willing to do that, how am I really not being part of the solution? So it's it's tricky. It's hard to love something so much and know that it creates a ton of destruction later in life to, to their former stars uh, and their families. That's, that's a hard thing to, um, you know, equate um, ultimately in your mind. It really is. And we see, you know, former players on ESPN on NFL network as general managers, you know, you think retired player, you think that. But it's, I mean, that's such a, a, a minuscule fraction of reality. I mean, in your video, you mentioned talking to somebody who was just in the psych ward. I mean, you, now you've heard a lot from other uh, retirees, former players that are probably going through stuff. Just what, obviously without using names, what kind of world is out there, Ryan, that we just don't see when it comes to retired players? The ones you see on TV uh, and in coaching in front office jobs, they're, they're, they're the exception, right? The rule is there's majority are struggling, uh, are resentful of the NFL, are fearful of them and, and how they've, you know, the red tape that they've put, uh, put in place to stop you from, um, 
you know, I had a guy that I was working with here this week who is on full disability because he cannot walk. He can really not function. He's got to have people drive him. He's got to people um, 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 put his clothes on for him. He's got to order food all the time out. Uh, and so he's on total disability, and he was applying for a um, PCF grant, which is a Player Care Foundation, which is run out outside of the NFL, within, uh, within the NFL, and uh, to get a, a new hip. It was a new hip or a new knee. I can't remember which one. So he could walk. You know, that would increase his quality of life a ton because he probably would be able to get from place to place easier. He would be able to dress himself. He'd be able to, you know, you know cook his meal, own meals and things like that. Um, and they, and they, they denied him because he was on full disability. So like they almost use one another against one another, like, Oh, you're helping him. Okay. Our, our part that we could help him too. We're not going to do it because you're already helping him. Um, I I don't get that. I, you know, I, I don't like that there is a, you know, a panel, you know, behind closed doors that makes decisions on the well being of somebody you've never met. You know, you fill out this application and there's people back there that I really don't know who the hell they are. All of a sudden you get a letter in the mail that says, or an email that says, I'm sorry, regret to inform you that you uh, have not been accepted for this, for this uh, uh, grant or approved. Um, that for me is, is, is garbage, right? If, if it's available, um, and you meet a semblance of the of the requirements, right? I mean, I don't. The subjective nature of it is is bothersome. Man, it just comes down to being a human being and and, and caring for the people that, that built the game. I mean, and I don't know. If it's just me, I don't know if it's here. just me, like having gone through what I did, and and maybe because I was not empathetic pretty much my whole life. Like I never put myself in other people's shoes. Um. But having gone through everything I went through, like I'm, I, I just am super empathetic now, and I, I want to help. I figure because it's what's changed my life. Like the foundation of my new life is a service to others. It's the only reason why I'm still here, I think. And there has to be a purpose to that. So, like, that's where I, that's where my mind goes to. That's where my action wants to go to. And then to see it, um, you know, see it with roadblocks from people who have looked me in the eye and, and talked to me about how much they care about the former player and everything like that. And then to go against it when the opportunity presented itself to, to, to help, that's, that's difficult to watch and see. And then makes me incredibly untrusting and resentful. And I don't want to be either of those two things. I don't understand why it's just this, this far away jury that, that doesn't really understand what a guy is going through, you know, and, and it had taken a year. It had taken a year of like back and forth between yeah. this individual and the the foundation. Like, I mean, the red tape and and everything that exists. I mean, they their job is to figure out a way not to pay you, rather right, than right. figure out a way to get it done, like or or to help you. Their, their job is to figure out a way to rubber stamp it, no, than to simply. Um, to to find a way to to be of service and help somebody that's that's the hardest part in all this. I run a foundation, um, and I'm terrible at it because every dollar that comes in, like I'm sending it back out. Like I I, I do not hoard a dollar, right? I it goes in and somebody calls up and like I need well I can't I can't pay for you to 
for the treatment for you, but I can pay for the plane to get you to the state that has the treatment facility in there. I'll pay for your pl- your plane flight. And uh, um, so it's just it's it's it comes down to when they look in the mirror, you know, when they look in the mirror, what what is it really about? And I get it. I, I told you, I get it. If they believe they're a violent money printing machine of a company, okay, then it's on us. It really is. Stop, stop, stop the propaganda then. Stop trying to right, tell us right. you, you care or are, are there for you. Just get out of our way. We'll do it. We were good enough to do what only 1% of the 1% of the 1% can do. We can mobilize together uh, as long as we know you're not dangling that damn carrot out there anymore, right? Instead, we'll see commercials and infomercials and bullshit. It's just – right. It's it's it, it, the, the, the lies and the, the misdirection here. Hey, but – it, does it come back to the CBA, I guess, because, yes, you yes. know, there's the union, there's the league, and, well, they, and you guys kind of are squeezed out. There isn't really a voice. There isn't a seat at the they table. They can do that. That's the thing that, that the owners can rest on. And, like, the end of, they can rest on, like, well, you guys, you guys, you know, agreed to this, you know, mm-hmm. through the collective bargaining. And, and they're exactly right, you know. Um, the former player's voice is never in the room. We have no say in the collective bargaining uh, negotiations only current players do and guess what the current players making tens of millions of dollars don't believe they're going to be 38 years old alone dying in a hotel room they don't and they do not negotiate accordingly and you know and they and they frankly they just don't they don't listen to us either you know they don't look at me and think i'm never going to be like ryan lee that that fucking loser, you know, drug addict fellow. He's not, you know, that's not me. I'm not going to be that guy. So therefore they don't negotiate in kind. And I just, I understand it. I was 21 years old. I thought I was gonna make $5 million a year for 20 years. That's just what I thought. And play football. You know, I was naive. Just have to be more conversations had. I mean, they've got to know that this, this is life. Five, ten, ten years down the road. I mean, you, you weren't out of the league long when this went down. I mean, you, you, it was going down when you were in the league right, with, with Seattle. In terms of just just going downhill, you know, when yeah, that, yeah. I mean, the well, depression I mean, started and and one thing led to another, and next thing you know, the, the addiction's there, and you don't know if, if you're going to be alive. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've got some awesome uh, awesome success stories too. Uh, Darren Waller down in in Las Vegas, right. the tight end, you know, being placed in the substance abuse program, you know, getting getting help and and reaching his full potential, and and really going to have an unbelievable platform to save so many lives um, because of what he's been through. And you know, that's a guy. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised the NFL hasn't propped him up more of like success because that is the epitome of a success story uh, in the NFL right now. Um, you know, if, it, you know, if it weren't for, for Alex Smith and his comeback, I, I, I don't see a better comeback uh, story than, than him and what he's been able to come back from and accomplish. <laughs> it's remarkable. You're right. We don't talk about that enough. I mean, that that's unbelievable what, what he did. Yeah. But Ryan, just let people know, I mean, how's life today for you? I mean, how do you get your, enjoyment your fulfillment you mentioned your, your son like what's what's your day-to-day like is like right that's that's part of mental health too it's just finding that reason to to be happy to get up in the morning it's it's him you know i remember the 
when the doctor put him in my arms, um, it, it's an amazing feeling to have this wave of like selflessness just overcome you. Like I knew it from that point on, like everything I did was going to have nothing to do with me anymore. It was going to be completely about him. And uh, so that drives me. Don't get me wrong. I've been in treatment centers and in prison with many fathers who told me many times that when they got out, they were going to, you know, do it for their kids. That's, that's not enough, right? You have to do it for yourself because if you're not the best possible version of yourself, you're, you're going to, you're not going to be worthwhile to anybody. So for me, it starts with that, right? You, I open my eyes. Uh, I, I pray, I meditate. Um, I exercise, I eat well. Um, I've been blessed with the opportunity to work with Sirius XM, uh, ESPN, um, travel this country, uh, speaking out, uh, and giving back to other communities outside of my own. Um, you know, try to be active, play golf, hike, um, be in nature. You know, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really engaged in, in the recovery world, especially here in Los Angeles, where it's unbelievable. Uh, I work with other people. I, you know, I've worked the steps, which I think are just a, uh, a, a great method of, of getting through things, making amends for the things I did do, understanding the consequences that come from them. These are my daily things. I see a therapist every week. Um, you know, I do co-parenting with my, um, with my, my kid's mom and, um, you know, I do, uh, anger management classes because I, I, Hey, I, I firmly believe I'm living with CTE and we see how this, how quickly this comes on, how impulsive people get. And we've heard from wives and loved ones talking about never seen anything like it from him before. And all of a sudden, boom, snap. And he becomes this impulsive, angry, outraged person where Never in his life has he been something like that. And then we get demonized as to like, you know, this guy's this, that, or the other. But it's brain damage. So I need to learn how to live with it. So that that is what my days are about. How to live with this disease in the most healthy and positive way. Understanding that there's going to be setbacks, that I'm going to be a failed uh, human being when I lay my head down sometimes at night, but knowing if I get up the next morning, and do the next right thing, I'm most likely going to lay it down again that night in a good space. And uh, sometimes I can feel incredibly overwhelmed, just like any other human being. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't look for a handout. I don't look for anything from anybody. Um, I, I'm accountable for, for what I do, uh, what I say, um, and then uh, and just try to be grateful for it all. So that's 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 kind of my day, you know, and think a lot of times is we weren't just willing to accept that you know there's something wrong with us right it's just suppose there was always something wrong with us if we were willing to put strap on a helmet and run into 300 pounders who were running as hard as they could and throw us into the ground i I assume there was always something wrong with our brains but you can um, tell that that, that ct is there i mean obviously we don't we, we the, the science isn't there to just right we can't diagnose right until, second we but. can't diagnose until post-mortem but we know what symptoms look like now. And I have a few of them that are fully exhibited, like mental health, right? I had a brain tumor, a traumatic brain tumor that was uh, found and, and removed or partially removed about 10 years ago. Um, substance abuse, 
um, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, anger, like, like just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a kind, loving person, but, you know, sometimes I just, you know, I just like snap and get angry over some of the most trivial things, especially around shame. And that's the post-traumatic stress for me, like being, being hyper criticized growing up in a small town, uh, by the media, by the community, going through that all the way to the NFL. And that's what it's all about. And then, you know, when loved ones are hypercritical of you and let's say, and how you're, how you're parenting or how you are as a son or uh, as a sibling or things like that, like that stuff's triggering and you feel this judgment. And so, you know, everybody, everybody deals with that. Um, I'm just dealing with it on my own terms and, and trying to do the best I can. And I understand that others who are my brothers go, are, are doing that too. And I want to be more supportive. Uh, I, I want them to know that they're understood. Like they're not unique. Like they feel, I don't want them to feel alone. Like all of us are out there like this. That's the bigger thing in all this. Like we're all out there together going through similar things. And I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone at all. We're just like you. And, uh, I'm here to, I'm here to help in any way I can. I, the only problem is, is, you know, it's hard to do it by myself. Right, you're one um, guy. It, yeah. Your phone's probably just been ringing off, ringing off the hook. I mean, you've probably been talking to people. I love it. I love it. I love that it is. But I, then, then I, you know, laid my head down on Sunday morning. Um, and I was like, I felt like incredibly overwhelmed too. Like, and then if I didn't call somebody back in a timely manner, am I just a dick and uh, am I letting them down? And then I got to talk to my therapist and be like, and she's like, you control what you can control. Stop taking all this on. This isn't on you. Um, do what you can. Stay out of the result. Do what you can. So, I mean, it's, it's a constant battle. Um, it's an important one. Uh, and one I, I feel very honored to 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 get to do it's just it is what it is it takes what it takes and it, it shouldn't i mean you shouldn't feel that responsibility that that burden i mean i, I will say this though burden, but it, i will say this though the the nflpa uh reached out and we're we're scheduled good. to meet here soon um but of course never heard anything from the nfl um not a word the league didn't reach out at all and it's doubtful that i will um they don't care what the hell I have to say. You know, I was, you know, you know uh, I was a failure in their eyes. So Jeez. what's the hell, what the hell do, what the hell do they care? It, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I say to them, but I will say that the NFLPA did reach out and, uh, you know, I don't know what, what that will accomplish, but I, I, I'm more than happy to have a dialogue. That's for sure. Oh my God. I, I mean, you talk about anger, like, they they don't have a problem, you know. They're ce- celebrating. I mean, and rightfully so. The the life and right. career of you know that player that was taken one pick ahead of you just a couple weeks ago, and their heads in the sand with that the, the player that was taken second overall, you know, after a video that all of America saw, all of America felt your pain. This is a real issue. Somebody just died. I the the silence is deafening, and and I, I hope it changes. I mean, I hope I, I can't. Every, all of us in 
watching and, and trying to make sense of this all. Can't thank you enough, Ryan, because you're, I'm sure you're changing lives. You're making a difference. And, and those phone calls aren't in vain. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So just um, make, make sure you, like you said, get, get that rest and, and take care of you too, because yeah, you, you kind of have to. Part. Yeah. yeah, it's important. Um, but I don't know. I think just, just in this, uh, in this moment with you, I just, you know, speaking to, you know, anybody else who's listening, like, I think that's the, you know, that, that moment where you're like, I want them to know they're not alone. Like they're not, I'm right there with them. And, uh, I know how precious life is because I probably shouldn't have mine and I'm incredibly grateful for it. And I know there's a way that we can, we can help and I just need, uh, I just need some uh, some buddies to to ride with me through this. So they can find, I mean, they can they can find you on Twitter. They can find you on social media. I mean, you're accessible. I'm guessing. I mean, we're yeah, we're very accessible, find. very accessible. Uh, you know, social media platforms have been amazing. Really, yeah. it's uh, it's crazy, uh, and it's you know you, your choice on what kind of content you put out there. And I try to, you know, I try to. It's all about positivity and, and solution-based stuff. So at Ryan D. Leaf on Twitter, at Ryan D. Leaf on Instagram. Um, my website, theryandleaf.com. That's another really good way to get a hold of us. And, and if, and, and especially with, you know, if it's some stuff with your communities and things like that. So, um, awesome. yeah. Well, man, I, we can't thank you enough, Ryan, th- for being so open, so honest. Um, this, this was amazing. So Thanks for all your time, man. Uh, hopefully this reaches some people and help, help some lives out there that they need it. I appreciate it, but I really do. Thanks a lot for thinking of me and the opportunity and uh, you have a wonderful week. All righty. You too. Thanks so much. All right, right, man. Bye.